Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. So God is telling them in advance, the children of Israel, listen, you're about to go into a land where idolatry is very settled. It's very set in their culture. And you've got to go in and you're going to dispossess them. And when you go in to dispossess them, you're going to inherit their fields. You're going to inherit their houses, their, their land, all of the things that they had. I, I, I'm doing that for you. That's a real blessing. Everything is ready for you. You just got to go in and take possession of it. And when you do that, you're going to see some of their idols. And you're going to see the way that they used to worship. And I don't want you to do that. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Truth in Christ Radio for today. Our God is all-knowing, and that is why He gives us direction in our lives. As we look at the beginning of chapter 12 in the book of Deuteronomy, we see that God is directing the nation of Israel to stay away from the kind of worship that the present people practiced. The land that God has allowed them to possess was filled with idolatry, and God will prescribe a place and a manner for his people to worship him. This applies to us today. Our Lord directs us for a reason, and we must take time to listen to him and heed his word. Here's Pastor Rob with today's message. Deuteronomy. Let's open up to Deuteronomy 12 tonight. Deuteronomy 12. Last week we talked about, uh, we were in Deuteronomy chapter 11, and we, we, we saw the, the, how love and obedience uh, can be rewarded. And, you know, God always likes to reward obedience. And whenever we are obedient, that means we're taking him at his word. And when, you know, we have the word of God in our hands, where we get into trouble is when we think better, when we think that God is outdated or we think that this book is outdated. It's an ancient book, but it's very alive, and it's very um, applicable to us today because people haven't changed. They really haven't. You go back to the, the very most ancient people, and they all had the same feelings that we do. They had the same desires, the same wants. They had the same sin nature. There was always some loophole they were trying to figure out to get around. And so we are no different than they, and they are no different than us. And so when God speaks in his word about these things, it, it was written to them, but it was also written to us. So it's very applicable to us. We get to chapter 12, and as you know, Moses is here on the precipice of going into the promised land, and this new generation is about ready to take possession of the land. And their forefathers had all died away. They'd been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years after coming out of Egypt, right? And so all of those who were uh, unbelieving and, and, and living in unbelief. They all perished in the, the wilderness, and now God has got the next generation and their children coming up, and they're about ready to go in. And so he's sharing with them uh, basically sermons before they cross the Jordan into the promised land, what we know as the land of Canaan, 
which was a, a, a name that was given for that whole entire strip along the, the, the western shore of, of Israel and um, west of the Jordan River. That was all the land of Canaan. It was filled with a lot of different people groups, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and many others, seven different nations. And they were all idolatrous. For hundreds of years, they had been that way. They hadn't changed at all. They just kept perpetuating the same thing. And so God is telling them in advance, the children of Israel, listen, you're about to go into a land where idolatry is very settled. It's very set in their culture. And you've got to go in and you're going to dispossess them. And when you go in to dispossess them, you're going to inherit their fields. You're going to inherit their houses, their, their land, all of the things that they had. I, I'm doing that for you. That's a real blessing. Everything is ready for you. You just got to go in and take possession of it. And when you do that, you're going to see some of their idols. And you're going to see the way that they used to worship. And I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to go in and and get curious and start dabbling in those things. And that's precisely what happened, by the way. But God wanted to warn them way in advance. And in chapter 12 this evening, we're going to look at uh, God prescribes a place of worship. There is a place where God wants his people to worship him, and it's not up to debate. God knows what he's doing, and what he says is for their own good, and it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And so let's just get right into it. It says, These are the statutes and the judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess served their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. Notice, when you go in, you have to utterly destroy the, all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess, you got to dis- discover where they serve their gods and destroy everything, destroy their altars, destroy their images, destroy their groves, destroy their wooden statues, destroy everything. Get rid of it all, that the name of even those things would be erased from under heaven. That was his intention. And for good reason, because natural man will always will always slouch, will always slouch toward the very base things. Very naturally. It's just part of our nature. Our old nature is bent on craving baser things. Only when we are born again do we even have an appetite and, the, and the, the, even the Spirit of God in us to lift us up out of that muck and admire and, and present to us a better life, an eternal life with Jesus. And so he says, utterly destroy it. And even on their high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, notice the high mountains where they serve their gods. You know, during the period of the judges, the Israelites, they... Uh, they took on all of those Canaanite customs. And the Canaanites believed that when they sacrificed to their gods on these high hills and on these high mountains, the, the big peaks, they would go up there to worship because their thought is, if we can just get up high enough, if we can just get up high enough, then, then we, our prayer can be heard. Our worship can be heard by our God. Right? And God is saying, that is a bunch of nonsense because you don't need to go on top of a high mountain to worship me. I'm going to tell you where to worship. And, 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 and that's where you need to worship me. You don't have to go through all the, uh, the, the gyrations, and you don't have to go through all of the different uh, jumping through the hoops and, and all of these other things to worship me. It's very simple. And, you know, because he is God and because he is omniscient, because he is omnipotent, 
He doesn't need a, for us to do those things. He doesn't require it because he, if he's omniscient, if he's omnipresent, is there any place that you can go where he can't hear you? Didn't David write in the Psalms, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I make my bed, you know, if I uh, make my bed in hell, Lord, you're there. If I, if I cast myself on the uttermost parts of the sea and I'm, you know, there you are as well. It doesn't matter where you go, where you might go. You could get in a rocket ship and go beyond Mars on the far side of the moon. Is it any problem for God to speak to you there? No, he created that thing, and it's pretty, pretty close to Earth comparatively to everything else. It's no big deal. <laughs> right? He can speak to you. But they thought if they could just get high enough, they could reach that. So God's prohib- pro- prohibition was get rid of everything and, and get rid of this idea of going up on a high mountain and under, on the hills and under every green tree to worship. And we're just going to look at a couple of, of scriptures here. In First Kings chapter 3, I've got them written up there. You can write them down if you want, but we'll just go through them because they really um, speak of this, uh, this propensity. And, and see, here God is telling them what not to do. And he's telling them because he knows what's coming. Because if he is omniscient, that means he can't learn anything. He knows your life already. From the moment you were born to the day you die, he knows everything in between. Nothing surprises him. And to me, that just really encourages me. Because he loves me, because the Bible tells me so, even in spite of myself, even in spite of the things that I might do tomorrow or next week or next month. He knows these things in advance. And yet he loves me today. Doesn't that just... You almost can't help but reciprocate that love and say, God, if you're really that great, then you're, because you know what's going to happen, you're not punishing me for sins that I'm going to commit tomorrow or next week. You love me that much right now. And he's like, yeah, I do. That's the truth. Do you believe it? You know, because if you don't know you're loved by God, you're going to walk around in the world thinking that there's this brass ceiling and that your prayers are just hitting the ceiling and coming down. And you know, the devil likes to get you in a place where to make you feel like your prayers aren't effective. Because of your sin, when we sin, we have to confess, right? And our relationship with God can be restored. If, I'm, if I continue in sin and I don't confess, I may sense that there's this block. It's because I haven't confessed. We have to confess our sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But look what happens, you know, many years later, and when the kingdom of, uh, when the kingdom of Israel begins, notice what happens, because you remember... Saul was their first king, and then right after Saul, immediately was David. And then David, if you remember, through Bathsheba, he had another son, and that son was Solomon. And so look what happens. Now, and, and this was given way back before any of this. You know, the, the events, the, the, the passages we're going to read in First and Second Kings are hundreds of years later, hundreds of years later. All of these things that we're reading about now, each one of these kings knew very well what God had said because they had to read it themselves. Most of them, all they had was the Pentateuch, just the five books of Moses, because the Psalms, you know, hadn't been written yet, right? Many of them. <laughs> wasn't until David, around 700 or 1,000 B.C., you know, or 950 or whenever that is, that he began writing. So look what it says in 1 Kings chapter 3. It speaks of Solomon. You know, Solomon was one of those kings who, be, who began really well. He began really well, and God gave him great wisdom. And God told him what he was going to do. But Solomon didn't finish well. And there's a warning there for each of us, you know. It's not, it's, it's not good enough to begin well. 
You have to begin well, and you have to be consistent in your worship and consistent in your walk with the Lord. And if you're inconsistent, that's okay, because God can get you there. You never stop. You always keep coming to the Lord, no matter how much the devil condemns you, no matter how much your own heart condemns you for what you've done. You have to keep pressing on. You have to keep pressing on. Isn't that what Paul says? I press toward the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. I press toward the mark of the high calling, the prize. Right? You have to keep going. You can't stop. You can't just roll over and play dead and say, I've had enough. You've got to get back up when you've blown it, and you've got to get back up. You've got to get back up. A righteous man will stop fall, and he'll get back up, and he'll keep going, and that honors God when you take him at his word, and you just say, God, I've blown it again. I've blown it again. He says, get back up again. Confess it, and let's move on. Let's move on, and so many people just get so despondent and discouraged. They're just like, you know, I've had enough. I'm just going to go back to the bottle. I'm just going to find my solace in Jim Beam. I'm going to find my solace in cocaine again. I'm going to find my solace in marijuana. I'm going to find my solace in illicit behavior. Notice what Solomon did. And it's written in here for our nurture and admonition. It says, 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now Solomon, he made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. God didn't ask him to do that. Kings did that to, um, to gain, gain favor from other uh, kings around them. What better way to secure your borders than to marry the king of the king, marry the daughter of the king next door to you? If you want to have like a, a good relationship, marry his daughter because <laughs> the king's not going to want to come against the land that his daughter is part of, right? And so they would do these kinds of things. And so he married, married Pharaoh's daughter, and then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Verse 2, meanwhile, the people sacrificed, notice, the people sacrificed at the high places, God had told them where to worship, but now they have their own thoughts, their own feelings. Their own feelings. <laughs> I'm trying not to be dramatic here because I have this joke in my house that I have two feelings. And, you know, it hurts both of my feelings. You know, I have this funny thing. Um, anyway, so meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burnt incense at the high places. So Solomon still was learning this lesson, and it wasn't an excuse, the fact that the, te- the, the temple wasn't built, because they still had the tabernacle. And that's where God would have to have the sacrifices and stuff like that. But they have a different idea. They have a better, a better plan. But God has a plan. And it really is important that we follow what God says, because whenever we follow God, there is safety, there is blessing. And I heard one commentator say, you know, we want to be under the spout where the blessings come out, you know. Have you ever, in the rain when you were a kid, you know, I did this, when it would rain really hard in the spring or the summer, and I'd have an awning off the side of my house that was kind of broken, and the water would just get, would come down from the house and just rush, rush off the the, the awning, and right, just right over the edge. And there's just torrent of water about that big around just coming down. And we used to just stand there underneath it and just get drenched and laugh and run around in it, right? You ever done that? Anybody done that? <laughs> I'm the only one? Okay, anyway. Be under the spout where the blessings come out. And it's just that simple. Think of that picture, you know. It's like when we put ourselves, we submit ourselves under the Word of God, there's where the blessing is. But we can remove ourselves and say, 
I don't want that blessing. I want to see if I can do my own thing and maybe get a better blessing. Well, there is no better blessing than being obedient and being under the spout where the blessings come out. You can go off by your side if you want, but the water is not going to come on you. You're just going to be out there doing your own thing. So Solomon removed himself from that place of security when he began to engage other gods and began to dabble in these kinds of things. And he was very much aware of what the law said, because we're reading it tonight. He was very much aware of what God had said, and we're going to get into it, and especially in this chapter. Notice, um, just a little while later in 1 Kings chapter 11, notice what happens. Turn with me to uh, 1 Kings 11, and it says this. It says, But King Solomon, he loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, the, the Hittites, And from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. And this was something that God had prohibited, and yet this is exactly what Solomon did. It's a funny thing that money does to the mind. When you become wealthy, all of a sudden, all your physical needs are met, and much more beyond that. And now you start to entertain other things. Now it's not enough to have enough. Now you've got to have an abundance. It's not good enough just to have one wife. Now you're going to want 700 and 300 concubines. That's what, that's what Solomon had. He had 700 wives or princesses and 300 concubines. That's 1,000 women. It says, surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. So Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And these are all false deities in the land of Canaan. In verse 6, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon, verse 7, he built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill, notice, that is east of Jerusalem, which is the Mount of Olives in that area, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon, and he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So here's a man who started really well but quickly degraded as his fame and his prosperity began to bloom. And just as a note, in current events, and I'm not bringing this up because it breaks my heart that this is happening, but you heard of the founder of Amazon, Bezos, and the things he's going through. And see, Solomon can understand what Bezos is going through. Very wealthy man, but it wasn't enough just to have a wife. And I don't want to condemn the man because he needs, he needs Jesus, right? He really does. But think of the mess that he's in. And it all could have been avoided. He could have had a happy life. But now his life is very complicated, and it's probably not going to recover. Pray for him. He and his wife, they both need the Lord. Amen? So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And had commanded him concerning this thing, that he would not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant, who was Jeroboam. We'll we'll hear about him later. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days. What grace. 
What grace? Solomon, you've messed up really bad, but I'm going to let you go on, and you're going to die in your old age, a, a, a fleshly, satisfied man, not finishing well at all, but I'm going to do it after you pass away for my servant David's sake. And I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for, for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son, which is Rehoboam. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. And so, you know, God has got some hard things to share with him. There's always a consequence for sin. And God in his grace is going to bring it to pass after Solomon dies. And it surely did come to pass. We know that Jeroboam, there was one kingdom of all Israel. Solomon was over it. You know, there was David and then there was Solomon. And it's right at that point where the kingdom split in two because uh, Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, uh, developed a following after him. And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, also did the same thing. And now we have two different factions going in different directions. Rehoboam would ultimately be king over Benjamin and Judah and the southern two tribes. And Jeroboam would ultimately be king over the northern ten tribes. And there'd be war between them all of the days of their lives. Notice what it says in First Kings, you know, because, again, it talks about these high hills and these, these things that they're doing, burning incense on the high hills. I mean, this is a big deal because God says, do not do this. I want you to have a place to worship, and I'm going to give you specifically where it is, what tribe it's going to be in, and who's going to serve me. All the directions were there, even to the, down, the minutest detail of the, the making of the temple, the, the things that the Levites would wear in, in, the, in the land of Judah. Very specific instructions. Notice what it says in 1 Kings chapter 14 now, beginning in verse 21. Notice Solomon's son now, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. And Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Notice, to put his name there. Remember that, to put his name there. We're going to come back to that shortly. He had chosen a city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah and Ammonitus. Now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they committed, more than all that their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places, there it is again, and sacred pillars and wooden images. These wooden images were statues and, and images for uh, the worship of Ashtaroth who was like the, uh, the consort of Baal. It was like the female version of Baal, or the female counterpart of Baal, the, the Canaanite god. And under uh, wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree, and there were also perverted persons in the land. These were male prostitutes. Where they would, uh, perverted persons, that's literally what it means. As part of their worship in these false gods, they would have male prostitutes, male prostitutes with other men with other men, right? And God calls that an abomination. They were also perverted persons in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. You know, it's bad enough when the nations that you're going to dispossess, that they're engaged in all that stuff, and it's really a horrible thing when God's people are doing it as well. You know, that's the shame. That's the shame. And all throughout First and Second Kings, as it goes through all the different kings of Judah and Israel, they're just they're going like this. If you read them, and they all sound like this. It all, it all each one of these kings, it, it sounds almost the same. It's, and here's how it goes for the rest of the kings, pretty much. 
it'll, it'll go something like this. And king so-and-so began to reign so many years and did that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord, but did not remove the high places, etc. Or he might have done good things, but he didn't remove the high places. It was Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited format, Simply mention today's date when contacting our church office for ordering details. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location, and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. You can also listen to these messages on your mobile device by going to Calvary Chapel of Rochester on Google Play or Apple Podcast. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.